Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I'll be your host again for today's episode. Today, joining me on the show is Mitch Minton. Uh, Mitch works within the racing world, which I know very little about, but uh, within that world, he does a lot of stuff with CAN bus uh, analyzing. Uh, it's a tool called a CAN bus sniffer. And, you know, we deal a lot with that. this as diagnostic technicians where we're looking at the voltage levels of the CAN bus. We're doing network diagnostics. We're dealing with modules that aren't communicating. Um, but Mitch is, well, he's a super smart guy, but he's doing really high level stuff with actually pulling the data out of the CAN bus messages, analyzing, you know, what messages are being sent onto this bus, you know, from each module and you know, what actual data item is present within these messages. Is it the steering angle sensor? Is it the brake pedal? Is it the oil pressure? It's actually being put out in, onto that bus and, you know, we can't visualize that with the traditional methods that we usually use um, outside of a scan tool. Um, but what we're going to be talking about here is is really cool stuff where we're pulling the raw data from the CAN network. And Mitch is an expert on this stuff. So again, really excited to sit down and talk to him about this. Uh, so with that out of the way, well, let's jump in. Interesting. Nice. Yeah. I, uh, I This is the first uh, podcast I've done um, and I've, I bought into a, uh, a software stack that actually allows you to bond multiple connections. So you don't have this problem. Okay. But yeah. It's, I haven't, haven't dug into the point to where I need to use it yet, but if you live, if you have anybody in the rural area, it's, um, it's probably a, a decent option. It's okay. called speedify. Uh, okay. it, it, yeah, you can bond up to four connections. So they, if they have a pretty shoddy internet or they have just multiple cell phones, they can bond them together on the, on the on their uh, PC. Nice. Yeah. I could, I could have used that at my old house. My, I, I just moved recently and my last place I was at, it was, I was constantly battling internet issues. Yeah. No matter what I did, there was always, it was bound to glitch out and it was bound to happen while I was interviewing someone too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, that's exactly what it is. It, I actually bought it to test at the uh, racetracks and stuff. Cause racetracks are notoriously known to be in very rural areas. Sure. So when we're there, uh, if we need to download anything or we're looking to, I, I eventually want to get live streaming from the car. Um, but there's a, there, most of your, um, refined options are pretty expensive. So it's, it's more of, Hey, can I make something that works and does a decent job? Uh-huh. Um, because we don't need everything under the sun for, let's say $10,000, you know, plus like a thousand dollars a year or whatnot. I yeah. need, I need just the basics. I need tire pressures. I need oil pressure, you know, and that's, that's pretty much all I'm trying to look at to, to, to see, to help the driver. Okay. So. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I battle a little bit with that too, because I do some mobile programming and yeah. I'm, I'm kind of out in the sticks. I'm, I'm North of the twin cities about 20 or 30 miles I, I work in that range and it's it is very rural up here and some yeah. of these you go you go out in the kind of the middle of nowhere to somebody's pole barn where they're working on stuff and my my hot spot <laughs> has like one little tiny bar I'm like oh come on buddy you can do it <laughs> <laughs> i uh i use a pepwave max br1 for my mobile uh sim and mobile router stuff okay um it it when I have a problem with signals from a cell phone or normal hotspot, uh, it seems to do the trick. Um, granted, if I went into a cave, it wouldn't work, obviously, but uh-huh. um, it, it has done it has done a solid job to get me uh, service where service is not able to be found with a normal phone. Okay. I heard somebody mention that Pepwave before, but I, I had not looked into it before. Yeah. Just make sure you get the LTE-A model. Um, they, they do have a couple a couple options. So. Okay. Sweet. Well, uh, how's everything going, Mitch? Uh, thanks for doing this with me. 
Hey, I appreciate it. Glad you could uh, have me on the show. I'm doing well. Uh, getting getting ready to start the uh, Christmas break where I get to actually do work around the house instead of on everybody else's stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, same thing because I got a uh, few weeks off here for college um, where I get a little bit of time to catch up on some stuff before we yeah, get back ab- to the spring. Absolutely. Bunch of bunch of handyman work that's been left left for dead gets to get put on the the list to get done before the new year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just put uh, brake lines in my dad's truck <laughs> yesterday. So <Yeah. laughs> still, yeah, I got still wheel, working. I got a wheel bearing outside just waiting for me. It's like, ah, just <laughs> when's the warm weather coming? Yeah. Well, where are you at? I'm outside of Nashville, Tennessee in uh, uh, Murfreesboro, okay. Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Gotcha. Yeah. But, uh, it's a little chilly around here this time of year. Uh, about 10 degrees this morning so we're <laughs> working outside isn't much of an option but uh, yeah if i can if i can wait till the afternoon i'm i'm typically all right i, I got like a four hour window where it feels decent uh okay. from like noon noon to about four and after that it's uh it gets back to like you know somewhat sub-freezing where your hands are frigid uh right. tem- temperatures here yeah that is uh that is no fun <laughs> yeah Grabbing everybody, cold tools everybody and everything. That's how you, that's how you get that's how you get your notches on your belt though. That's that's how it works. <laughs> that's right. It makes that uh, life in the shop, the nice nice warm shop, and a hoist seem really really easy. <laughs> yeah, and, and appreciate it too, because if you don't if you don't forget your roots, that is that is it right there. <laughs> For sure. Well, hey, you mentioned you're in the racing world. Um, why don't you tell me and the listeners what you do there and how you got into it? All right. Um, well, it all started, um, actually started from Facebook. I uh, didn't even have uh, any expectations of being pulled into the racing world at all. Um, about three years ago, I, I started or, you know, kind of co-founded a Facebook group called Canvas Device Developers, where a, a friend of mine was trying to build a device to log data on a car from raw Canvas stuff, and then you could post-process it uh, after the fact. Okay. And, uh, he kind of he kind of just left the group a little bit, and I just kind of built it up on my own regards for blogs and journals and things that I learned and things that uh, I had educated myself on. Um, the groups, I think it's around four thousand members now. Um, most of them are involved in the racing world in some some degree, or uh, want to understand CAN bus to a deeper level to either make their own products or understand how products work in order to you know do whatever they need to do. Um, and a guy that's uh, been working in the Porsche industry for like 30 years uh, contacted me and was looking for a CAN to Wi-Fi solution or a CAN over, over the, the, the air solution. And I, I really didn't have anything for him. And, um, you know, I, I just I was like, that's just outside of my scope because I've, <clears throat> I've focused on CAN only. I haven't focused on like any type of Wi-Fi development or anything like that. I was like, well, I appreciate that, you know. Somehow, about four months later, he asks, like, hey, how far are you from uh, Franklin, Tennessee? And I was like, you know, roughly 45 minutes. He's like, hey, I need you to show up at this shop at this time. Uh, I got some work for you to do. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> odd, but all right. Uh, so I, I show up. I go to the shop. And, uh, you know, I walking in. It's a very uh, very low-key shop that's um, that's in a, an industrial park. I walk in, and uh, I meet the guy. He's like, hey, uh, we're trying to find uh, oil pressure on one of these cars. Uh, oil pressure is distributed over can. The car was a 2014 Audi R8 GT3 LMS race car, okay. um, which caught me way off guard because I'm expecting somebody to show up with, you know, just a normal street car or, you know, street applications at all. Right. And uh, so he was like, all right, well, I got to do a case study. What we'll do is we'll, um, we'll basically let the car warm up. And get it down to where where I will I will log that entire that entire um, circumstance on can because we're going to look for oil pressure to be a little bit higher and then slowly reduce as as uh, as it warms up and then we'll have uh, we'll have another case study where we'll s- start a log and you'll just jab the throttle we'll stab the throttle and then we'll also have have in that log where we roll into the throttle and roll out so during that stab I will see a very minimal raise in pressure expected. Well, when we roll into the throttle, I expected to see it raise and then drop when we let off the throttle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did my case study, running through all this uh, CAN bus data, looking like the Matrix. Uh, 
um, told told the guy I was like, look, I, you know, what I'm seeing, what I'm observing, you know, all this all this information. I was like, nothing is standing out to me that correlates with with uh, oil pressure on this. It's like I don't, I just if it's there, I can't find it, and you know, I'm sorry. <clears throat> and they're like, well, all right, you know, we appreciate your time, you know, thank you for coming, you know, kind of kind of scoffed me off a little bit. Um, the next day, I get a phone call. Um, and they're like, hey, guess what? What? And they're like, we didn't find oil pressure. And I was like, well, I, I kind of knew that, but what's the catch? And he's like, well, it was not being transmitted from the, the, Bosch, the Bosch dash. So, uh, yeah, you, you, you were able to tell us that a golden egg didn't exist when we told you a golden egg does. So pretty impressive. Okay. You know? And uh, that was it for that conversation. You know, a few months go by, COVID hits, everybody's kind of get locked down. Um, I get a phone call from the, from the shop. Like, hey, uh, you know, we have we have a couple of fly-ins from California that won't be able to make it due to COVID restrictions. Um, are you interested in working for us as the data guy uh, with with our team with our team for uh, race in Brainerd, Minnesota? I was like, you know, I was I was actually on a uh, paid time off, um, kind of COVIDcation as I call it. Uh, the plant shut down for a few months. I work at Bridgestone full time, um, okay. working seven out of every fourteen days. So. They uh they sent us or they sent us on a on a basically an extended vacation and uh, I ended up uh, I was like hey you know I asked my wife I was like hey you know they need you from these days to these days I'm not working so you know cool if I do it and she's like well, you know I don't have a problem with it sure so booked the flight made it to it and got thrown into the wolves and that's how <laughs> it all started um, and, that's uh, uh, that, what is that up in Brainerd the the VIR. Uh, no, it's it's Brainerd, Brainerd, Brainerd International Raceway. Yeah, BIR, I guess is what they call it. Yeah, Not to yeah, be confused yeah. with VIR, which is Virginia's. Yeah, I, I I've been up there. It's been many many years since I've been up there to uh, see some races and stuff. But yeah, that's uh, it's it, it's definitely the hub around here for people that want to really get into that racing stuff. Yeah, it it certainly is. Uh, it was a big. It was a. It's a pretty big track. I've been to uh, quite a few across the country, and it's it's one of the bigger bigger tracks for sure. Um, they have a they have a drag strip there as well. That, that's kind of like an off ramp from the racetrack, which is kind of interesting. So, you got thrown in. What uh, what did they have you do? So they they have. Uh, they knew that I'd been to Motec dealer training, which uh, it kind of prepares you to understand uh, Motec's branded products. Uh, the the dash the the dash and PDM there was a few things they had on the on the car that was uh, Motec based, um, so they were like, hey yeah you, you know Motec I'm like uh, yeah, yeah sure, you know as as much as just about any individual that Google's them but yeah, and they're like well we we need we need you to understand how this dash works and how this uh, video system works never seen the video system in my life had zero had zero knowledge on it whatsoever I just knew can stuff that's really what it came down to okay and. Uh, we were having issues. We were having technical issues with the video video system uh, logging laps. Um, the video system was a uh, RaceLogic uh, VBox. It's pretty common in a lot of race cars to uh, record uh, video in car, and it can it can report track information, and you can overlay any type of uh, signals of information. So your throttle, you can see your throttle and brake and things like that. Over so the top. It's, it's taking a video of inside the car <clears throat> or what the car is seeing as it goes down the track. You can set it up for either or. It actually has picture in picture as well, so you can ha you can place one looking at the driver while placing one looking out the front of the car. Mm. So you can you can watch what they're looking at while you're watching what they're doing. Okay, uh, it's, it's pretty impressive. And then you can overlay, you can record uh, essentially CAN bus information to it as well. So you can you can see all right, you're pressing the brake. You can see how much brake pressure you have here. You can see how much throttle they're giving it. You can see. You know, all, all that, all the, all the, all the good information that you're looking for for uh, driver coaching and data analysis. I gotcha. So it's like comparing the the real time what's actually happening to what's going on on the vehicle network, the yep. control module side of things. Yep. So you can you can use it, and once you go back, you can review the footage, and you're watching them and watching what they're doing. To say, hey, like you're you're breaking late here, you're overshooting the corner, or you're breaking a little too early, you know, you could hang in a little bit more speed into this cor in this corner, things like that. Um, it's a it's a it's a very effective tool for driver driver coaching for sure. That's cool. 
All right, so you get into this stuff and you're pulling data off of the CAN networks. Um, that That's really, really cool stuff. I, I've watched some videos on it. I've never done any of it myself. Um, but I've watched it where people plug in to a bus and then they get, you know, this big long list of messages that's pumping out. Um, that's just, I don't know if it's hex data or, um, what it is that they're seeing. And then they're, they're correlating that to events that are happening in the vehicle. Absolutely. Um, there's the, it can be overwhelming at, at first for sure. Um, the, most of the data that people look at is going to be in either hex or um, decimal form. Hexadecimal being one value equals, you know, uh, 16 characters, so to speak. Um, and then the decimals, you know, your 10 characters, your zero through nine. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I look at it, I typically don't use decimal to look at, at, at can data because the way bytes work, uh, it doesn't natively flow with the decimal system. Um, I'll, I'll typically use hexadecimal or uh, binary in certain instances, and okay. the binary is where people get get overwhelmed quite a bit. It's just zeros and ones, mm-hmm. but it's a whole lot of zeros and ones. <laughs> so um, the binary stu- the binary information will come in handy uh, if you're looking for just a, a switch state. So like if you're on if you have something that's like kind of turning on or off, it's very difficult to find in hex data because hex data can like it's basically grouped uh, for binary values together so any one character actually has four characters behind it in binary form well and correct me if i'm wrong but the actual can messages that's that's binary right it's just zero yeah yeah it's as the voltages go yeah it's a dominant or recessive bit so yes that that's exactly how it works so the part that i'm much more familiar with is seeing the can messages on a scope and because yeah. a lot of stuff I get into is there's network issues correct um, and techs have a tough time with that you know once yeah. their scan tool either doesn't communicate or gives them a U code a lot of yep. guys are just like I'm out um, yep. and so I do a lot of that and I'm familiar with the voltage levels and like you know visualizing the messages I, I do some stuff with the students where you know, we'll put five seconds on the screen of a CAN network and it's just a blur, you know, a blur of, of voltage pulses. And then we zoom in, we zoom in, we zoom in and show them, okay, this is a fraction of a fraction of a second. Here's the yep. message. And there's, you know, X amount of those happening on a busy network in, in five. But anyways, um, <laughs> I've never, I've never dove into actually, you know, trying to figure out what any of those messages mean or where they're coming from or who they're going, <laughs> who they're meant for, you know, yeah. um, that's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a challenge. Um, understanding what the data is or, or basically how to correlate data to actual information, um, over the past, uh, let's say couple years, there's been a lot of improvements with, um, with, I guess, uh, programming scripts and basically open source code to help, uh, define that information. Uh, in fact, um, a guy that I met at, uh, I don't know if you go to PRI, uh, the Performance Race uh, Industry Trade Show, um, it's like SEMA, except it's made for racers only. It okay. is just it is just racing. It's like kind of off off of the public interest. Gotcha. Um, th- there, was a, there was a guy that I actually met there through, through a friend, kind of like an outer circle, friend of a friend deal, who was working on his doctorate, uh, and he was in the military. Uh, and his doctorate was on like basically a, a, a communication uh, doctorate, and he wrote he wrote a program that actually got him on DefCon, um, oh. presenting at DefCon, um, which is uh, basically a lexical lexical and semantic analysis of CAN bus network information based on the messages. And so he was able to essentially look at the data and slice and dice it because if you look at like a sentence, if you wrote down wrote down a sentence on on paper. Uh, each each word is going to have a split with a space. Mm-hmm. So that space is essentially a split point for words. So if we said this is a sentence, the word this is one one word, is one word, a, essentially one word, sentence. So what he wrote is code to, to slice and dice CAN network data to find those split points. Mm. And it works pretty well 
uh, for, for doing so. so. So much that if you took a raw can log on a car, went for a drive, we, and you come back, we run it through his program, um, we, can, we can probably find like things like wheel speed or your throttle position or engine speed, things like that, with just by looking at what you did and correlating it to the, da- the pictures, essentially, that he created. Wow. So it's, 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 taken, it's taken strides to make it uh, a little bit easier to do. Um, with that being said, it's still very development-based and you know, kind of scares a lot of people with, oh, i got to type in code or program things or you know, understand this, uh, this you know, language that's not formalized to English. Sure. But yeah. Um, so obviously everything in the U.S. that's OBD2 since 08 has a CAN network for the powertrain and you know other manufacturers have expanded their own CAN networks from from manufacturer to manufacturer is obviously the 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 protocol for voltages is going to be the same you know mm-hmm. that that two and a half to one and a half or three and a half but is the language within there the same from from one to another or do you have to decipher it based on that vehicle? It's it's largely vehicle or uh, platform based. Um, there's certain manufacturers that kind of keep the standard together. I'm gonna use Nissan as a good example here. If I take data from like a let's say an 04 Nissan, they had they started implementing Canon, I believe, with the 350Z that 0304 era. Uh, I can I can actually record Can data from from one of those cars and overlay it with. Uh, data that i find from you know a new new nissan armada okay. and the wheel speeds are still in the same position um there's there's a few other signals i know wheel speeds are, are one of them because they've kept wheel speeds in the same location across i guess that's a span of almost 20 years now oh. um while if i go to like a bmw for instance uh it seems to me that they change it up based on the chassis almost so mm-hmm. they have they every every manufacturer has their own standards of ways that they're doing things. There's no there's no right or wrong way or um, true rhyme or reason. Um, I think they all just go in their own directions um, with with what they want to do. Uh, they don't probably like me being the guy that's doing this to help under, understand what they're doing on the back end. Yeah. Um, they probably act, you know while there's probably some manufacturers that are that'll tell me go for it. Um, there's, I'm sure there's certain manufacturers that tell you, no, you don't need to know this. You, right. you need to read the read the tech guide. We 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 publish that information for a reason. We don't publish this information, sure, for, for the same reason. It's kind of but, reverse engineering, uh, is what you're doing. When you're yeah, yeah. It's it's there. basically taking and it and it's it's good to do in my opinion. Like if you have a lot of case studies and you're having a specific problem, there's a lot of things you can do with uh, the can information that. Um, essentially wouldn't be supplied directly from the manufacturer for a test. Um, if, you know, the, my wife's got an Armada, it's got, you know, it's got a little bit of oscillations when it shifts, which is, seems to be kind of a, a problem associated with Nissans. If I, need, if I wanted to present to them a problem and they said, well, you know, and I, and I just go in there and say, well, we're, I haven't, I'm having oscillations during shifting. Mm-hmm. And they go, oh, okay, well, you know, that's, you know, we'll look at what our technical service, you know, our TSBs say. And we're good. But if I take take the car in and say, here, here's a log file. You can look through it. Uh, this is everything that's happening with the car. And they'll go, well, how did you get this? And it's like, it's, you know, I kind of I kind of like shrug the shoulder when I go when I go to the dealer if I'm dropping something off for a warranty claim. How, how do you get this information? Well, I just know I know. So your secrets aren't secrets. But um, but yeah, it, every manufacturer does their own thing. Especially and. It, and with the standard OBD2 stuff, they they're forced to, to abide to OBD you know SAE's uh, standard for like the mode one, mode two, mode you know mode nine, mode you know I guess mode zero through mode eight, which okay. is mode eleven, uh, if you're listening in decimal form. Gotcha. They uh they they have to abide by them. So if you're looking for information like that's why any of these you know cheap ten dollar uh, Elm three twenty seven scan tools will actively work and read the generic codes. While if you're interested in scanning the modules of a vehicle or anything deeper that you, you know you have to have higher end scan tools for, this is why because they they wrote their own protocol which they charge people they charge manufacturers of these uh, devices like Altel and Snap on money 
to see the date to you know hey here's how here's how our information works for you to read you know the ABS module or whatever device outside of the generic SAE uh, standard. Okay. Um, that that it's and each manufacturer does their own thing. It's not there's there are certain standards that they have to live with live inside. Uh, yeah. But there's but outside of those like hey this has got to be at this location. Like, for instance, mode 22 has to be read data by identifier. Uh, but after that, labeling each identifier, each manufacturer can do whatever they want. Gotcha. So. But, but with that, you're able to look at things like you said, like ABS or potentially like a body control module or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I'll, uh, I'll actually I have a uh, Think Diag, which seems to be the cheapest higher level scan tool that I've found. Uh -huh. um, I'm not interested in spending a lot of money uh, when I don't when it's not my daily grind. So mm -hmm. that's what I got recommended, and it's done a really it's it's a really solid device. If you had somebody that was new and emerging that's not wanting to spend six, seven, you know, thousand dollars for the best of the best, getting everything you know hitting every uh, check check box, uh, the Think Diag does a really good job with uh, getting people in the door and able to to look at advanced advanced functionality, advanced codes. Um, pretty well. It, so, in order to get this raw CAN data that you're talking about, what tool are you using for that? Um, how are you pulling that, or how could someone pull that information if they wanted to get into this? The uh, the the tool that I recommend and offer or, or tell people to use is a Peak PCAN USB. Um, it's very basic and it offers a, a very um, easy learning curve for their software um, and it's supported by a lot of a lot of third-party companies um, there's there's a handful of um, programs that are written to, to log and analyze can data uh, peak pecan seems to be the de facto standard for what they what they rec what they use or what tool that they allow I'll, I'll use a peak pecan there's there's third-party devices that are made in like China that, that emulate peak pecans um, I'll recommend those people to people that I know that are capable of um, getting. They're, they're going to be on their own. They can run. You know, they've already got their feet wet. They know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, but for for the vast majority of people, peak pecan USBs, um, they can be picked up at uh, Fi Tools or Grid Connect in the USA. Um, they're about two hundred twenty five dollars for their basic tool, and mm -hmm. uh, it, it it works really it, it works really well. And in fact, if you had like a U code. Um, you know, the PicoScope does a really good job at determining um, bit errors and stuff where it can show you at the bit level. Okay. Uh, the Peak PCAN doesn't show you bit level um, operations. Like, it won't show you, for instance, the ACK bit. So if something's not responding with the Acknowledge or you have a CRC error, those things that you look at in PicoScope that you'll you'll see and say, oh, we've got two, you know, we got a CRC error for whatever reason or we have like a, a, a ACK error. Those things won't actively be shown, but it will tell you that you have a ACK error. It will tell you that you have a you know a, a CRC error, things like that. So when you're testing for let's let's say U, U code, mm -hmm. and you're you're okay, well we plug it in, we're seeing errors off of a specific arbitration ID or things like that. Well, if finding that finding that message is going to be rather difficult if you haven't already characterized that network. Okay. So, the best the best way I tell people to do is um, start you know realistically start pulling fuses until the network's back to normal. And the problem with doing so is if they're looking at the car to see if the network's back to normal, it's going to be difficult to challenge because most things are going to say, "Hey, I'm not seeing a signal. I'm flagging and I'm faulting." Mm -hmm. So you have to use essentially an analyzer or a picoscope in some manner to see that you're actually able to see that the errors have went away. And then from there, you can you can typically find what what specific module is having a problem or if it's a wiring issue okay. how far down the wiring path you actually had to go in order in order to uh basically change those the the, the error status so you so you can integrate this in order to help figure out what module is sending out the junk messages absolutely okay that's pretty cool yeah um yeah, I've I've done it plenty of times where I'm just doing the visual again on the scope and then I'll unplug modules or fuses or connectors and I'm just watching. I'm just I'm watching to see what I have come to consider normal, but 
I still, yeah, I have no idea <laughs> which, yeah. which message is coming from where. Yeah, it, it's it's a challenge. Uh, I, I'm hoping that um, kind of like there, there's going to be a, a lot of like an open source community that starts supplying this information. A lot of people try to still keep it kind of, um, you know, in their own uh, vault. You know, if you want the information I've found, I had to work hard for it. It's worth money to me. Mm-hmm. Things of that nature. Um, there, there's a few people that that actively release their the information that they find, and um, I'm hoping that that becomes the uh, de facto standard to some degree. Is this something where having like a known good capture from a network is going to be helpful for you? Yeah, it it certainly will. Like, so um, if if you're having essentially, let's say let's say like a wheel speed uh, sensor is faulted out, um, and I can use this as an example because. Finding case studies for problems is challenging uh, for for me because I'm usually in in the racing world, so we don't we don't typically have a lot of can network um, you know flags of you know things that are the the cra- the networks crashed. What are we going to do about it? Sure. I've had I've had one, and it was pretty pretty simple. We pulled the ancillary device back off, and that was it. We're we're done because it was additional equipment. Mm. But uh, a wheel speed signal, um, if if you have a bad wheel speed sensor from uh, a Nissan, realistically any car. It's an easy, it's an easy one to to kind of target. If you pull a wheel speed sensor, all, all the cars, I'd say 08 up, are going to have um, you know ABS and traction control, and typically they're going to be pushed over over CAN to say, hey, the wheel speed signal is this, the wheel speed signal is that. You're gonna you're gonna have four of them. So if you let's say unplug a wheel speed sensor on a car, you start you start driving it, you're only going to get three of those four signals. Gotcha. So if we characterize those those four signals and say those are wheel speed sensors, we expect those to all be correlated together. Now we know our problem. Well, if you look it up and say, hey, you, you know, you could do the same thing with a, a OBD2 scan tool. Um, this is a very easy easy targeted option because you know you're you're unplugging a sensor. But when you have something that's maybe outside of range and you don't know why, you don't know if it's uh, if it's a if it's a node issue, you don't know if it's a sensor issue, things of that nature. You start characterizing uh, all these networks and say, "Yeah, I'm not, I'm not seeing this line up to what our capture was, mm-hmm. you know, our known good capture." Now we yeah. can go, "Okay, well, wh- what is that? What is that message capturing? Where is the message being captured from?" It 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 does offer um, significant benefits. Granted, those benefits are pretty deep deep in the hole, uh-huh. but when when you're at the last resort, almost, <laughs> yeah, it's certainly uh- it's certainly a decent tool to use. I'm just thinking here as we're talking about this, you know, a situation like most people would say, well, just use a scan tool, right? Just, right. just use the scan tool and look at that stuff. And I would agree in most cases, like wheel speed sensors. Yeah. You could probably use a scan tool for that stuff, but sure. I run into situations where modules are sharing information over the network. Right. Um, let, let's just say steering wheel position, right? This yeah. is one that I've run into and it's not a data PID in yeah either the receiving or transmitting module. Like you, it, it has that info and it's either taking it or receiving it, but you don't see it. It's not even an option in the data PIDs. And then so you don't really know, okay, there's an error message here that it's not getting what it wants. It, it ends up being a U-code. Yeah. Even, even though it's communicating, it doesn't have the information it is expecting to see or it likes, but I can't, I can't measure anything with my scan tool. So that would be cool. Again, pretty deep. You'd really have to get into the weeds, but it would be cool to pick that stuff out of there and say, turn the wheel and say, oh, okay, there, there's my message popping up within the data packets, you know? For, for sure. And you, you bring up a good, a good case. So steering wheel, let's say your clock spring has just one bad joint on it, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and let's say the data pit is available. Um, but you're looking at the data pid and you're seeing in this in most of your data pids and this is where I'm about to start hammering on uh, scan tools themselves and start showing you how how what their what their drawbacks are. Um, even even if you can request data, that data typically is being requested at some arbitrary rate. Let's say it's four times a second. Let's say it's eight times a second. Well, your steering wheel, your steering wheel sensor is probably transmitting that data 50 times a second. If I had to guess, if not at, at minimum 20. So you have 20 packets of information going to either a body control module or a gateway or some some other device. Even even at the even if it's from the your your 
communicating with the, uh, let's say, ABS module. The ABS module is only responding to that PID four times a second because that scan tool is only requesting the information four or eight times a second. Mm. So if you have a clock spring that has just one bad area that just just freaks out, just one 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 little notch, that's enough to freak out the ABS module, but it maybe may not be enough that when you're requesting that data from a scan tool that you're going to be able to see it. Right. So you end up with a scenario that's, okay, well, you know, and you may get lucky, right? Because you keep playing with it long enough, eventually it'll show itself. But if you're looking at the data and saying, all right, well, this has already been characterized. We know this is, you know, the steering angle sensor, you know, the steering angle sensor value in degrees. Well, I saw I saw it go from zero and I turned it right and it went went up and then I turned it left and it went down. But then all of a sudden it spiked back to zero or it spiked really chaotically. That sure. would that would be the that would be the case. That'd be a good case example. Yeah, and I I've seen actually I was just working on one the other day where the sensor is on the CAN bus itself, right? So you got a, like a steering angle sensor, right? A Mitsubishi the other day that uh-huh. it had four wires going to it, a power ground and two can lines. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe, I don't know if there was scan data or not, but I've, I've definitely run into them where there's no, you can't actually talk to it with a scan tool. That's not an option, but it's yeah. still on the network putting out data. Yeah. How else are you supposed to see that besides looking at the receiving module and hope that hopefully <laughs> it's getting yeah. the, the data there. Um, again, that would be something that would be pretty, pretty useful in, in a certain situation to have Absolutely. another way to look at it. I don't, I don't recommend it to everybody. I recommend it. Um, when, when essentially all options have been exhausted almost, uh, it's my first option almost when it comes to certain scenarios, if I'm looking at, Hey, I've got a, I got a sensor that's flagged out and the OBT, you know, your scan tool says, Hey, that's flagged out. Most of the cars like in my, in my driveway that I play with, if, if I have a problem, it's like, all right, now I can, now I can characterize this based on, you know, what, what does the scan tool say? And what does the CAD network say? So mm-hmm. if, if one's got, if one's got junk data, it's easy for me to figure out why typically relative, relatively quickly. Um, I don't have to deal with it too, too, too much. Um, we have an ABS, uh, an a, or SRS uh, module that that's flagged out. That's essentially faulty. That I've had to I've had to address, and that was that was one where I couldn't couldn't do anything with it because the module's dead. Right. But you know that's that's a that's a whole. If you can't get the if you can't get anything to talk, well, you got a whole whole bigger can of worms that you have to deal with. Sure. No matter what it is. Um, with these tools or programs that you're referring to. Can you, you can read this data. Can you also send messages onto the bus? Yes. Yes, uh, it certainly can. Uh, Peak PCAN's Peak uh, viewer tool has the ability to uh, send messages at, and you can set it up to send a message at any frequency. So if you're having a problem with, um, with some device communicating, um, you, can, you can basically say, all right, well, let me send a message if it's, you know, for instance, that steering, the, the steering sensor that's just power, ground, can high and can low. If you send, if you knew what what message to send and what ID, you could send it to see if that cleared your cleared your issue. Once it once you you know it's cleared your issue, okay, I can I can validate that if I send the right information, it's not the it's not the essentially ABS sensor that's that's freaking out. It is the clock spring not sending the right stuff, sure. which is you know kind of a challenge for, but it it is capable. Okay. Can you uh, can you mess stuff up if you're setting? Oh yeah, right yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you you can certainly cause. Uh, I've caused networks to crash. Um, okay. By by playing with them, if you if you, all, everything has a you know, going back to the CAN bus. Uh, I guess the the physical layer or the the network layer. You know, each each device has its own messages that it can send at and message IDs. Well, if you try to send data. Uh, at that message ID, while that device is communicating at the same time, mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna essentially bring the network down um, if there is no um, auto bus off standard for any for either of the devices. Because what what will happen is the way the the CAN bus messages are sent, uh, there's this inside check algorithm that they run called like a CRC check. And if those if you're sending data, the do, the dominant bit is your zero bit. 
and the recessive bits are one bit. Well, the dominant bits will win every time. Mm -hmm. But so if you send something and it's and saying, okay, well, I'm at the same ID, but I'm a different message. Well, what happens is, is that dominant bit wins and the CRC check is going to have a dominant bit that wins as well. Everything's going to get messed up because it's saying, hey, did you see, did, did you get the message? And they respond back with, yes, I got the message, but it's a different message. Yeah. Go, oh, no, that's not right. Let's all start over. Let's do this again. And this happens, you know, incredibly fast, like three times. It can happen about three times a millisecond on most most automotive networks um, that they do this. So it'll it'll try over and over and over and over and over again. Um, there, there, there is, there is policies in place to try to implement. If it happens 127 times and, and it still doesn't work, just turn the device off. Okay. Um, but interesting. Yeah. And so you can, you can definitely, I can definitely crash a network real quick and you can actually, um, you can take down a network too. Um, which is, is something I, I typically do to characterize how a car works when, um, when messages don't get received anywhere. Um, mm. as, uh, if like, uh, the zeros are the dominant bits in the message, um, or arbitration ID. If you send a lower message at the same time, a message of a lower arbitration ID, the lower message gets priority. So if I want to take a whole network down or, you know, if let's say I was one of these rental shops and I, you know, people didn't pay their, pay their rent, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it, Kind of nefarious tool, but like, hey, if I don't want their car to start or car to run and it's running off of a key fob or something or it gets a starter signal over can, as soon as they try to as soon as they try to start their car or as soon as that, that network comes up, I'm just gonna send a bunch of zeros on the network and never <laughs> let anything go through. Right. And that you're not gonna figure that one out. It's just gonna be too challenging for anybody. You take that to a dealer like I've thought about doing it, taking it to a dealer and saying, Hey, you know, I got a problem. See if you can figure it out and just let them just scratch their head and just finally <laughs> figure it out. Make make a big YouTube video out of it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 definitely you definitely have the ability to um, uh, basically solve as well as create create problems um, yeah. for for a network. But that's that, that's that's the that's the name of the game when it comes to uh, the you know the control network standard, and mm -hmm. it, it it typically works well. Yeah, I suppose when you're getting into this stuff, you know, where there's no, you're kind of uh, pioneering the path in a lot of cases. You don't necessarily have references to fall back on and stuff. So you just got to try stuff and yeah, <laughs> see how it goes. It, it's, it's, been a, it's been a heavy learning curve on various fronts for me. Um, once I, this all goes back, I started, how I got into this was uh, I've always been a, a kind of a, a uh, you know, performance car guy, so to speak. Started with the Hondas, never really, um, never really graduated from the Hondas for the most part. But um, I, I bought a uh, about 2012, 2013. I bought a uh, Mercedes Benz E55 AMG, and you know, really powerful car for you know, 20, 25, 26 year old. And uh, I, you know, I was like, oh, I want to make this faster. And, and people offer tunes. I was like, no, nah, I want to put a, I want to put a standalone on it. I want to put a standalone engine controller on it. And they're like, no, you can't do that. You, you know, you, it's got this thing called CAN. And I'm like, well, what is CAN? Mm -hmm. And that really um, start. I started digging down the wormhole. I didn't really have any information. Couldn't find much information uh, online. It was just something like every. I had this. There was two answers I got. What was CAN? CAN was like this this network, and then also it was this what the OBD2 port uses, and that's mm -hmm. kind of all I got. And I uh, I stumbled upon a, a a car hacker's handbook, wrote by I believe Craig Smith, and he uh, he used uh, Linux and uh, some tools to uh, hack cars, and he had he had a couple YouTube videos up. And so I bought I bought the um, I bought the tools he used. I didn't know anything about Linux. I s still don't know all that much, but you know it's it's not really. I know what I need to know, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, it started digging down the wormhole, and it really opened up the doors for me to understand uh, a little bit about how it works. And so I started just looking at information, and and then how all right. So now how do I decipher this information? Well, you know I can use Excel, and but the problem with Excel is Excel crashes if you have more than let's say a million cells. And so when you're sending 3,000 messages or when a car is sending about 3,000 messages a second, uh, it doesn't take too long to get 
you know, over, you know, like a million cells, so to speak, when each, each message has like, you know, essentially 10, 10 line or 10 columns full. So you know, you're getting 30,000, you know, cells of data a second that you're trying to import in Excel and <laughs> look at it. It doesn't, doesn't work well. It bogs the computer down real quick. So I had to learn, uh, I ended up learning Python to understand how to, you know, analyze the data a little bit. And then basically from there, it's just, I, I started gaining momentum and now I'm to the point where I um, I do a lot of reverse engineering for cars, you know, somewhat remotely. I don't like doing it remotely, but it's kind of the name of the game. It's not a lot of people in my, you know, not a lot of people want to figure out how to reverse engineer a car. They're looking for specific data or information off of a car, right? You know, I've had I've had contract jobs from as far as Australia uh, and Europe, um, you know, and also, you know, directly in in, in the area. So, you know, it's 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 definitely paved paved a way of um understanding a very niche um niche niche network so to speak right right um have you done anything with either the the can fd or or any other you know newer network that's coming out there i mean i know flexray that's kind of european um they've got I know they got Ethernet on a few newer vehicles too. We've messed around yep. with anything else. So KNFD is going to be the successor. It's going to come in time. Um, the only cars that I know of that have KNFD um, are, I believe, the Aston Martin. One of the newer Aston Martins, like the I guess the DB12. I, I, I'm not I'm not an Aston Martin guy, but a friend of mine is an exotic car repair repair guy, and he was like, you know, yeah, it's got FD on it. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, I I haven't. And then the C8 Vet, the new the new Corvette came out. It has CanFD on it. And then okay. 2015 and up Mercedes S classes also have CanFD. Mm. Um, so there's not there's not the market's not heavy yet. Uh, the the CanFD for the Corvette, I actually have uh, I have a guy that I'm gonna leave unnamed. He's one to reverse engineer the network and put an aftermarket engine management system on the car. Um, and I told him, you know, basically, I, I've got I've got some tools for doing FD stuff on my uh, on my desk right now to try to help him. Uh, convert the can FD message format into just a conventional can format. So it'll communicate with, uh, mm. you know, your, your more, more legacy devices. Uh, Cause the aftermarket, the aftermarket products always are uh, a little bit behind, so to speak. So, you know, OE manufacturer builds something, they build something new. Now the aftermarket performance industry is trying to catch up with it to do something with it. Right. It's never, yeah. it's never the other way around. We're not, Automotive performance guys aren't waiting for the next thing to hit. They, they, it's got to hit before they actually do something with it. Okay. So, it, it's it's something in the works. CanFD is actually incredibly. Um, it's essentially we have eight bytes of data on normal can messages at a max level. CanFD just offers the ability to turn that eight messages into sixty-four message, or, or I'm sorry, eight bytes into sixty-four bytes of data. So you're just able to to increase how much payload that you have pushed down the network mm. and that that is pretty much it so um it's kind of a backwards compatible standard so you'll probably see a lot of um devices uh, you know still using generic cam devices on top of and then stacking those with a uh, potentially a gateway for CanFD. gotcha okay um yeah and i know I've, I've read stuff about the the ethernet being used in newer vehicles so i definitely haven't run into any of it but I, I haven't seen I my I haven't seen anything personally um, for Ethernet at um, the OE standard. Um, the, it, I know it exists. I just don't know what cars it exists on, and usually don't get pulled into to those vehicles, so right. to speak. Yeah. Um, Flexray is like kind of like BMW. BMW tried to challenge. I, this is my guess. BMW tried to challenge CanFD into doing something, saying, "Okay, well, we're going to do our own thing. It's going to be Flexray. It's about as fast as CanFD from like pushing data. Th- it's data throughput." Okay. And so they did their they did their own thing to try to offer a uh, basically a newer standard to to increase bandwidth, and it probably isn't going to take off. I expect BMW to jump off of the FlexRay stuff or just basically try to hold true for the cars that they have it on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't see them actively trying to keep FlexRay. To be honest, it seems that especially with this chip shortage, it's going to yeah. be it's going to be incredibly difficult for them to say, all right, well, you know, I've got this, you know, niche item that I only need, you know, let's say 1 million of while the rest of the world's on CanFD and they're getting a hundred million of them. It's right. easier to jump aboard, jump aboard the status, uh, the, the conventional standard. 
than it is to try to create your own. Yeah, that chip shortage thing, um, obviously it affects a lot more than just the automotive industry, but it was, I was interested to see that a lot of vehicles, I know with General Motors, they stopped doing, I think it was remote start, or maybe it was the stop start. It might have been yeah. the stop start and then the AFM for a year you know, for 2021 models, they just didn't include it in these vehicles because they didn't have the chips to put in the modules. It's a struggle across the board. And it's burnt me a little bit too, because things that I was trying to work on uh, with specific chip platforms, I'm just unable to do so. The the inventory just doesn't exist anymore. Where there used to be, um, there used to be a a chip, uh, ST microelectronics, they actually built a lot of stuff and it was incredibly cheap in comparison to the rest of the market. So like most of these chips, there was, all right, this one's going to be 10 to $20. You know, ST had something comparable that was like maybe $4. Okay. So it's like, okay, it's like easy barrier to entry. Uh, from the knowledge, from like learning and example standpoint, there's a lot of people that were on board with them. They have solid documentation. There's a lot of, you know, like uh, courses you could get online for their, um, for their chips to understand how to program them. It was it was great. It was awesome. And then COVID hit, and like next thing you know, is like you look up, and there's like ten thousand on a website. You know, like a DigiKey, what whatnot. Yeah. And then you know, chip shortage hits. You look a couple months later because you're trying to. I'm trying to cobble the next, you know, cool little two piece project. You know that I can that I can make. And there's like there's nothing, uh, nothing, uh-huh. not, not not anything remotely close. No families, no nothing. And um, you know, it's uh, it's it's crazy. It's crazy to hear to hear it. But you know, I think that. I think that personally, China's just holding out sure. and saying, "Hey, yeah, like we're going to stop production because we can show the the world that we're capable of, you know, putting a dent in the marketplace. So if they want to build stuff, they have to rely on us." Yeah. So yeah. kind of this, I, I personally think it's just a Chinese arm flex that's oh. preventing productions in some regards. You yeah, know, COVID obviously has had a drastic impact, uh, but I think the impacts go deeper than just just COVID. Just yeah. My personal opinion. Oh, that makes total sense for sure. Um, that's well, it's one reason why I think it's really cool what a lot of guys are out there doing to um, to have workarounds and I mean do, doing the kind of stuff you're doing with yeah. getting into these networks and, and decoding that stuff or like um, Pedro and Mike do their EEPROM class yeah. and it's more than just EEPROM, but they're they're getting into how can we reuse some of these modules right out of oh. a junk car absolutely um, and i'm seeing it at a local level where there's a huge huge need because of the shortage yeah. on these things um i was talking to a diesel shop the other day um they needed a module it's like a body control type module for this big diesel truck and <laughs> A used one, because new ones don't exist. So a used one went for like four thousand dollars or something insane, My goodness. like that. And I was like, "Holy cow!" So I mean, if you can figure some of this stuff out, yeah. there is there's a huge need for it. Um, and I, don't, I mean, I don't know exactly what will happen yeah, <laughs> in the and, next coming years, but yeah, it's 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 bound to it's bound to to obviously change how how we how we look at things, uh, you know, when it talk, when you talk about repurposing can devices, uh, you're, you're, you're talking to a guy that does it for race cars. I'll use, um, you know, every car has a, basically an IMU on a, a, an inertial mo- motion unit. Um, you know, Bosch, Bosch sells theirs for their motorsports world stuff. Um, that's about $600. And what I'll do is I'll find, I'll find various devices that are used on OE platforms that, are of comparable feature. For instance, the the Kawasaki ZX10R has the Bosch IMU at the same same message IDs that they state that their motorsports one is. So I'm like, okay, well, uh, you know, I can buy one for those for $75 off eBay, or we can spend $575 and get it directly through Bosch. Well, you pick, you know, <laughs> you know, it's it's IMU. It's going to do its job. If it doesn't work, it's not going to communicate. Very simplistic device um, for. Um, for for the automotive aftermarket as well, there's uh, driver boxes um, that that Bosch makes to uh, basically take a, a port injection car or a port injection um, a circuitry and allow it to run um, direct injection applications. Right, so it kind of just ups the voltage and holds it to whatever standard you need it to. But these uh these boxes are like twenty five hundred dollars directly through Bosch. 
but like Hyundai and Kia um, licensed to use them. So it's the same. It's the same message addresses as well. Like you can get them for twenty, twenty-five dollars on eBay all day long because <laughs> no one needs them because they don't really die. You know, the cars don't. The cars aren't. You know, anybody that needs one of these devices is because they destroyed theirs in a wreck, right? Okay. So they're not really in high demand. But from the automotive aftermarket world, the automotive performance world, it's like okay, well, you know, I can get this box, and this box will do. You know, instead of them saying, "Hey, I need, I need that box from Bosch that's twenty-five hundred dollars. I need this box from box from a junkyard." It's the same box, and mm-hmm. you know, I say there, there's there's more money for the budget for the car, and uh, I I've done that, you know, I've, there's I can more times than I can count. I'm I'm I actively try to challenge myself to figure out which which devices have the best, uh, you know, or which which cars or platforms have the best IMUs to use, mm-hmm. you know, for the for the racing world, or what can be repurposed because you know it's there's there's a big, I think there's value in that. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Uh, just to have options and workarounds and um that's that's it's it's the name of the game when you're when you're a specialist when you're that guy um, yeah. to be able to have a solution regardless of the outside scenarios is it, that, it makes you very valuable. Um Yeah. Uh, I I've definitely found that. Um I I do I mean this is it's a little different, but I do the IO terminal for GM stuff, right? So you can't technically you can't do used modules for thirteen and up on yep. G- GM stuff, but with IO you can. You can just basically clone the old module into a used one, or you could clone it into a new one too. But you yeah. clone it into a used one, and in a lot of cases, uh, it, it's it's the only option to get a used <laughs> one. You can't, you can't find a new one. Yeah. Um, and so just having that ability is, uh, pretty, pretty powerful, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I, you know, I, it goes into the level of exploitation as well, uh, for what I do, because most of the stuff that like, for instance, to get to, to, to clone those devices, most of those devices are going to be cloned. You know, you typically can communicate with them via can. Right, some of them may take you know the RS two thirty two, RS forty five, a little bit older protocols or K line, but the newer devices they're gonna, they're going to be programmed over CAN. Mm-hmm. And so, like uh, I'm, I don't know if you're familiar with Ben Jameson, um, he has tools that I don't. So I, I needed an update for my uh, my wife's Armada to, to try to solve some problems that she had. That they said a TSB the ECU update would be fine. So we, you know, I said, hey, like, do you want to do this? And he's like, you know, yeah, you know, it'll be this amount of money and. You know, I'll see you on that day. I was like, all right, next question. Can I log what you're doing? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I don't have a problem with you doing that. That's nice, fine. Nice, nice. So I actually I actually took it and said, okay. I said, I'm not going to do anything with this information now. I'll do it later. I said, but I said, in, in the coming months, I'll, I'll follow up with you. And basically, you know, the update for the ECU and TCU, I actually extracted down and, and recorded all the labels and addresses. And once you start decoding the OBD2 information um, to its to its you know infant state, I could I could decipher okay this message is sending this data to the location on the ECU at this address and it's wow. here's this big packet of information it's sending and then here's the next big packet I was like if you ever wanted to do this to another armada uh, you just let me know and you know I could do it with my little, my little scan tool my sniffer tool huh. and uh, we can update we can update a car with this pending that it doesn't have any if it doesn't change the data that goes from this car to the next car mm-hmm. we have that data now. So wow. it's, it's, uh, you know, I haven't found another Armada that somebody's <laughs> willing to trust me to do that with, but, uh, you know, sure. it, it, it's, it's one of those things you gotta have, you gotta have multiple cars to do the case study, uh, for it. But when it comes down to it, it's like things like that can, can help, help me, uh, understand you just basically understand the car, understanding what it's doing, understanding what these tools are doing. Yes. Uh, the, the think diag, um, you know, I'll actually hook it up to my can sniffer and respond back to it with what the car would say. Just okay. to see, like how this thing communicates. What is it communicating with? Uh, what what messages that is is it sending to to try to see what what packets are available? What you know, and it's it's essentially how I can how I've characterized my wife's armada. Well, that's you hit the nail on the head there because I, I've always believed if you want to be better at fixing something or figuring out what's wrong with something is to have a really deep understanding of how it works. Yeah, um, and that's that's doing exactly that where you're getting into it that deep and some people might say well like you don't need to get that deep into it that's not gonna 
help you fix a car, maybe or maybe not directly, yeah. but the indirect thing is that you have a more intricate knowledge of how everything works. It is yep. going to make your life easier when you're trying to fix it, even if it is a basic problem, you know? For, for sure. And, that, and that's, that's where, like, I guess my, my, my drive for knowledge and understanding never stops. Um, there's, there's things that I've done. I've actually characterized, uh, the mode 22, uh, you know, you're probably familiar with it. Um, essentially it's the enhanced, um, data information that you can get from a car from OBD2 port. Okay. So, you know, your SAE stuff will give you, you know, generic commission stuff while the mode 22 data, if you're looking on like a OE or higher end scan tool will tell you, Hey, yeah, I'm seeing the, the targeted, you know, ignition timing to a deeper it's not just a one degree it's still like half a degree or quarter degree increments or you want to look at uh what's the base fuel schedule on a nissan you know you can go okay well i've got those figured out now so like essentially i could take the 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 standard that i have because i've defined nissan's ecu standard and go use a program that i've wrote with a tool that 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 i use and hook it up to a car and go okay go for a drive and when you come back for the drive i'll have everything that your car has presented from the ECU at a higher rate of speed, a higher bandwidth than any tool that you'll find on the market will supply it at, uh, which That's is, awesome. which is because I, I look at, you know, I'm looking at these, uh, OBD two, two tools. I'm seeing what they're saying. Mm -hmm. I'm going, okay, I can replicate what they're saying and I can see what they're getting responded back with. And I understand what those messages mean. And so, it, it there's there's a few tools that I'm I'm looking to build. Uh, one's a digital dashboard. That uh, it, it's it's integrating a program called Real Dash. And so if if you had a problem, you could essentially use Real Dash somewhat as like your 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 OBD2 interface. Okay. So whatever scan tool you had, okay, well here's just your data. Okay, so you can look at that based on the data because they're saying, hey, the car's running rich or the car's running lean or it does this or it does that, and you go, okay, let's. Go for a drive and bring it back, and now I have data to 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 core, you know correlate with that information because sometimes you know drivability issues are probably they're probably one of the bigger challenges that you have to face uh, being a technician. Mm -hmm. It's not a static problem. Um, it's like oh, it only happens when this happens or that happens. Okay, right. well, go do whatever you need to do to make that happen. Bring the car back, and then from there we'll we'll get it. You know, outside of the the misfire scenario, I guess. Right. You know, that's awesome. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool, man. Um, I think I hit all my notes. Did you have anything else you wanted to cover? Uh, you know, um, if, uh, anybody was interested in understanding reverse engineering, there is a, there's a course, uh, HP Academy has a course on CAN bus device decoded. It does a pretty decent job at, um, hitting, hitting the basics to understanding, um, understanding how how to figure out these things with you know can bus at a raw level um and then you know from there once you have the the information supplied to you or a decent understanding it's easier to stack up you know to, to kind of level up and you know each step gets smaller than the next so it's it's easier to you know once you get the ball rolling it's it's really it's really easy um that's that i mean the, Get, getting getting a scan tool or a, a can sniffer, a can analyzer, mm -hmm. uh, I, I personally think it should be in any uh, master text toolbox, uh, especially for U codes. Um, that that one that's one thing that I haven't um, haven't seen much of. Um, once when I you know ask around, they're like, no, I don't really, you know, I use I use basically what what tools are presented to me. Right. And and uh, the PP can actually has an OBD two interface if you're looking for SAE stuff. Um, which may, I don't think it offers much benefit for, for the, the target audience, so to speak. But, um, if they're wanting, okay, well, let's look at this data and see what it's, see what it's saying. You can correlate. All right. I see the SAE message. I see the SAE response, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. yeah, it, it, it can, it can definitely offer a little bit of benefits there. Awesome. But yeah. Well, man. Well, Hey, uh, thank you for sharing some time with me this morning. I appreciate it. Uh, it's not a problem. Super interesting stuff. I'm a, I'm a nerd about car stuff, so I'm, <laughs> I find it incredibly interesting, but I think uh, the listeners will as well. I'll, uh, I'll also, I'll also send you the link to, uh, Brent Stone's, uh, uh of DEF CON, uh, video as oh, well. Awesome. It's published on YouTube. So, okay. Uh, yeah. 
it, it explains a little bit more on the uh, the the slicing and dicing, so to speak. Okay, I I will definitely check that out. <laughs> All right, man. Cool. Uh, it was good talking to you, and I certainly appreciate the time. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, and that's going to do it for today's episode. I want to give one more big thank you to Mitch for spending some time with me today. Um, I'd be happy to have him on again at some point or another. Uh, Great conversation. Hopefully you enjoyed that as well. Um, But I'd also like to say thank you to everybody for listening. And with that out of the way, let's all get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time.